Hello and welcome back to Subspace Radio. It's me, Kevin Yank. And I'm Rob Lloyd. And we are here one last time to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 10, The Stars at Night, was our season finale. And what a ripper it was. Look, it was it was all right. In my mind, it was not one of the season's strongest, but this has been such a strong season mm. that even a weak episode is a strong episode. This had a lot going for it. There was a lot of spectacle for a season finale. It felt like a season finale in the way that it felt like a little movie. Yes. Uh, with all that, all the production value brought to the table. But I think it continued the trend from last week where it, still felt to me not like an episode about our Lower Decks characters, but about a story told on a the bigger canvas of the Federation about the Cerritos and, we learned this episode, the California-class starships. So I think I agree with you now, Rob. I think you've called it that Lower Decks is transitioning from a story about ensigns that never see any of the action because they're working below decks mm to a show about the lower decks of Starfleet, the lower class ships, in this case, the Cerritos. And in a sense, I suppose that may have been inevitable. Like Starfleet officers, at least the good ones, they grow, they get promoted. And so maybe that was always going to happen here. But I think I expected this show to be a little more like frozen in time, the way many sitcoms are, Hmm. that... You know, the family around the couch never changes. No one ever moves out. No one ever goes to college. It is frozen in time. And I guess I was expecting seven seasons of seeing these people scrub the decks. (laughs) Yeah, it it is interesting. I mean, it it shows uh, that this was the next inevitable step because there's a specific reason why they chose the Cali class to be the ship Mm. that these lower deckers were on and they've they're starting to really ingrain that into the whole show now and now it is a part of it that you know this entire class is the lower deck within the federation and so even the people who are on the bridge are working their way for recognition and so it's not one of the the big ships it is the one that you know uh captain freeman has to work so hard and fight so hard for for recognition especially within that hierarchy. I'll be curious whether come season four, it goes back to the formula. We return to the lower deck, mm. or if this is a more permanent progression in the same way that Voyager became about seven of nine, a character that didn't exist at the start of the show. Maybe lower decks will be about the Kali class, a ship that we had only seen one of for most of the first few seasons of this show. Uh, but we'll see. I think I'm I'm on board either way. Mm. But Lower Decks, in hindsight, it did start so strong and it did give us so- something so fresh and different from what we get from other shows. I do mourn that loss a little bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really liked it. I know because um, I love that whole camaraderie of all the Cali class coming in. I love that, whole, you know, beautiful cliched line of they're going you can't do this alone that's why i called all of them and yeah <laughs> wham, wham, wham 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 they're all all coming in and just they're going the callies are there to support one another and a great jay quaid doing an amazing job listing off all the yeah all the california cities <laughs> yep 
Uh, it was great. I just, I think it is a shame that Brad Boimler now seems to be a minor character at the con rather than the protagonist of this series. Yes. Or one of the two protagonists of this series. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much a case of, um, yeah, the expanding out that uh-huh. the the bridge crew to now become a part of this larger ensemble, uh, finding that time for everyone to get their moment to shine. And so because they've had so much focus, you know, it it did seem a little bit weird at the end when Migli Moo had his moment with Tendi. I'm going, um, what's Tendi really done? Is it a shigat moment? You kind of wedged this in. Something, something science. Something, something science. But that she has a beautiful run in with the, with the, the Vulcan. That was a little bit ham fisted. Um, Yes. Talin coming in as had been promised in the behind the scenes stuff from the beginning of this season. Like Mike McMahon has been saying in interviews, oh, that's not the last we're going to see of our Vulcan crew and, and, and Talin. They're coming back for season three. And I was expecting a whole other, uh, you know, across ships, across races, lower decks episode. But what they were promising was a very last minute arrival of her as a new regular character for next season. And you know what that means. Now they can play baseball. That's great. That's yes. Great. <laughs> uh, judging this episode on its own terms, though, rather than wishing for what it isn't, I think it was a really strong one. Some of the plot does not quite hold up to close scrutiny. Like, I do not understand why the Texas-class automated ship's being successful means the Cerritos or the California class is to be decommissioned. Mm. Like that seems like a very odd, uh, <laughs> if this, then that. Yeah. And they do hang a lantern on it a little bit with, uh, with Captain Freeman saying, uh, Oh, I, I came up with this mission race. Uh, I made it up in the spot. Don't, don't <laughs> think of it too closely. Like there is a bit of that. Don't take this too seriously projected over this whole episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it was a little strange. It is very much a case of, it happens a little bit in uh, the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who, which is sort of like, it's the, uh, the morning after of, uh, of storytelling. Um, yes. When you sort of like in that moment, yeah, they're going, this is incredible. This is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's so heightened emotion and it's incredible and it works. And then the morning after you go, oh God, what have I done? Oh God. <laughs> your, 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 your mind and your logic goes through the walk of shame of going, oh, yes. how could I be convinced by that? Oh, why yes. did I believe that was so dramatic? Why did they? There's yeah. a little bit of that here. Yeah. The whole idea of automated ships uh, takes us back to a, uh, original series episode called The Ultimate Computer, in which Dr. Daystrom uses the USS Enterprise as a test site for a an automation system that will run the ship without any crew members. And ultimately, that computer, which it is revealed has been patterned off of Dr. Daystrom's own brain, uh, goes crazy, destroys some ships, and has to be forced out of control of the ship. Mm. Uh, as usual, Kirk convinces the computer to shut itself down uh, as punishment for its own crimes. Of course. But the idea that that occurred uh, roughly 100 years before this episode in Star Trek history, and seemingly they have learned nothing... Uh, and the the reference is there to be seen because the screen of the automated Texas class ships in this episode, the the kind of uh, blinking lines, horizontal and vertical lines, 
that is the screen of the M5 Multitronic unit in the Ultimate Computer in TOS. Listeners, if you could only see the physical representation that Kevin Yank is doing right now to the show dance that to- of geometry. <laughs> And also the fans of interpretive dance. It's a it's mm-hmm. it's a great combination of maths and art. Yes, they finally um, sorted out uh, Rutherford, so we mm-hmm. found out um, yes. that it was all uh, the admiral's fault. Okay, so Rutherford, his implant has an AI in it, and it's the same code that runs these ships. Because Rutherford programmed the ships, I I just don't I don't understand. And it had something to do with um, was it uh, Badgie as well? Yeah, well, he used his own code from his implant to create Badgie. Yes, and apparently that code also is what in his forgotten life he used to create the prototypes of these Texas class ships. But Rutherford is a cyborg. I don't understand why that means he has an AI in his head. Yes, it's a wave of the hand and the captain yeah. going, ah, oh, I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> in, a, in a sense, I'm kind of glad that this storyline is over because if it was never going to make sense, I'd rather put it behind us yes. and move on with the character. Yes, very, very true. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, rather was having a good moment of like, yeah, you're keeping the cybernetic implant and it goes all dark going, plus it's cool. It's so cool. <laughs> and my talk last week about how's this going to be Heal. This is like uh, mm. uh, a mother disowning her daughter. Yeah. Marina comes back and says, it was all my fault. I handled it worse than anyone. <laughs> and the beautiful line of going, I'm sorry, I didn't trust you. And he goes, well, I've kind of been spending the last couple of years proving to you that you shouldn't trust me. Yes. Um, I'm going, that is very mature of you. Very Marin. mature. Yes. I, I, yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of a skip. Almost too mature. I think we've happened on the conspiracy for <laughs> next season. Oh. Is Mariner's been replaced. Mariner's been replaced by a, <laughs> an ancient sarcophagus mask led um, yes. spirit. I really loved Boindler's <laughs> arc with Shax. And yes. how emotional Shaq's got and how yes. upset he was. I love how emotionally in touch he is. And his parade of honor, his uh-huh. march of honor as he's running down. And they're all, all right, well done, Sarah. And he goes, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> to eject the warp core, which is also, it's not just Shaq's who loves to eject their warp core. Nerds everywhere love the idea of ejecting warp cores. We could do a whole episode around all the times they almost ejected the exactly, warp Exactly, exactly. I love the little uh, montage before the mission race where the Cerritos was trying to like do some last minute training to make themselves ready for it. And Ransom's like, here's how you sit on a chair. You throw your leg over it and then you sit. And Ta'ana out of nowhere has a riding crop now that she carries around. I, I'm not sure I've seen that before. If, if it isn't new, I noticed it for the first time today, but it didn't go away. She was carrying it around for the whole rest of the episode. That's a whole other hollow sweet program with Shaxx that we haven't seen yet. Yes. And the first good advice we've gotten from Dr. Miglimo, Tendi, that's cantaloupe talk. I want you to be a cantaloupe. It took. I had to. I had to pause, go back, and just to go. Did he just? Just. I, <laughs> um, so yeah, I. I had a lot of fun with this. The battle scenes at the end were genuinely exciting. Like they were really good. The yeah. skid uh, out of warp when they huh. eject the warp core and the spinning around, and then they're yeah. 
I can't believe I didn't mention it before now, but this this entire episode being centered around Douglas Station, this beautiful starbase, like my favorite model apart from maybe the Enterprise D in all of Star Trek history. We got we got to see it from every angle. We got to, you know, weave in the in between the towers of the office complex uh, spikes on its top. We, That's right. We yeah. saw it up close in more detail than we have ever seen that kind of starbase, and uh, that was a delight for me. Yeah, we saw its defense mechanisms as well, and um, we we saw its insides hanging out after it was peppered by <laughs> phaser fire. That's what I was trying to figure out. Has has that space station been attacked in that way? I mean, obviously in Star Trek Four, um, the probe goes past it and just blacks out. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's, I don't think I've ever seen it. Never be, been under direct attack, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was fully under attack. Like we saw people get exploded all over the place, Kevin. Yes. Here's my petty detail of the week, which is <laughs> at the climax of this battle, when Captain Freeman gives a command, I think, to either ram the ships or abandon ship, something like that. She gives the terrible order we don't ha want to have to carry out, and Mariner swoops in just in the nick of time. Mariner's voice comes over the comm and says, belay that order. Yes. So does Mariner on a non-Starfleet ship have the ability to just listen in to whatever Captain Freeman <laughs> is saying on the bridge of the Cerritos <laughs> to countermand an order like that? Um, these are the things that do not hold up on second viewing. That's, yeah, that, that, is, that is the morning after of going, wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> wait it's, a minute. It's a cool moment, but let's just go back and work on the logistics and the logic of this. So, yes. I mean, the, these, these future archaeologists are good. <laughs> but they're not that good, all right? So, um, you know, I was so boisterous and making grand statements about how this will change the Federation and the continuity uh -huh. of this franchise. And, yeah. uh, of course, it's a conspiracy with a bad admiral. Those of damn admirals. They give anyone yeah. an admiralcy in the Federation. Come on. So we are going to talk about other memorable bad admirals here today. Uh, would you like to go first, Kevin? Who is the bad admiral that you have uh, drawn attention to first do you want a good one or a bad one like oh. a, a good bad admiral or a bad bad admiral oh see i went to bad bad admirals oh right i'll start on the bright note with a good bad admiral who is this a is good, the bad time admiral? they did it right this is admiral Satie from the next generation episode the drumhead season four episode 21 it is revealed that a Klingon exchange officer that was on board the Enterprise uh, may have been responsible for the sabotage of a system on the ship. And Admiral Satie comes aboard to sort things out. What's going on on this ship? I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And she is an admiral uh, and has all the weight of that. But she is not one of those admirals who like commands ships and things like that. She is an investigator. She is here uh, as almost a, a judge, jury, and executioner to conduct the internal investigation of how did things go wrong on the on board the Enterprise uh, in this case. And she, she gets carried away. She uh, sees conspiracies everywhere. She suspects everyone. Mm -hmm. She uh, unmasks an officer who, it, uh, who is a perfectly innocent officer um, who 
is posing as half human, half Vulcan, but she reveals that he's half human, half Romulan and wow. destroys his career in Starfleet for it. But he is a completely innocent guy. He just lied on his CV yeah. in order to get into Starfleet. And and that moment when she she ruins the career of this person who had nothing to do with the investigation is the turning point of the episode at which Picard goes, she's going too far. This is a witch hunt. I need to stop her. Uh, and like n a number of other really great uh, Star Trek episodes, this ultimately ends in a courtroom drama. Of course. Where Picard turns the proceedings around on the judge and reveals the judge for being the completely maniacal, out of control, power mad person that she is. Classic um, Picard. Yeah. And the observing admiral stands up and, and kind of leaves. And that's like the, there is no moment of, well, this is completely over with. Like it is the subtle thing of the admiral who was like quietly lending his credence to the entire proceedings. He just stands up and walks out. Hey. And, and Admiral Satie is just like devastated by this. You just see all the air go out of her. And um, it is beautiful character work by an amazing actor. And uh, I, I love this evil Admiral. Admiral Nora Satie is played by Gene Simmons. Is that like the Gene Simmons from like um, Spartacus and Guys and Dolls? Yes, that's right. Oh my God, it's Gene Simmons. Absolutely. Oh, no. um, yeah. So if you're going to get an evil admiral, cast an Academy Award winner, I think is what we have learned. What have you got for me? It's a favorite of ours. We've talked about a couple of times a certain movie that doesn't get as much recognition as it should. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a nasty, bad admiral all going out for his own good um, to harness the fountain of youth that is there and through deception and taking the people, the rightful inhabitants of that planet away. Uh, we're looking at Admiral Doherty from Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah, we've watched a bit of uh, Insurrection recently for another episode. So I was, I got a nice refresher on Admiral Doherty. I agree. He does not get the praise he deserves for the subtle job he does of playing this character. Very much so. Normally the Admiral would be sort of like the puppet master behind everything, but it turns out you think, oh my God, it's all him. And then you find out actually, no, he's just uh, a pawn of, uh, yeah, F. Murray Abraham, who's really He's in too deep. Yes. He, he got into it for the right reasons. And then just small concession by small concession, he ended up being the-, the Death the, by the, a thousand cuts. Yeah. Mm. And then gets his face- contorted to all get out wow yeah i think that death is a, the opposite of a death by a thousand cuts in some way death by a thousand pulling in different directions it is it is by far one of the uh most uh gross uh forms of uh death that we have seen in this, uh star trek from what i can remember yeah pretty gruesome um, but yeah, it's a, a subtle reveal. And I like those, like I mentioned, that, that layer upon layer of, you know. Yeah, of suspicion. How, yeah, and how he has evolved from, you think it's all him, but he's actually just a, uh, you know, he's been undone by his own goodwill. You know, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. The, uh, the opening of that movie with Data going uh, a little haywire because his emotion chip uh, objects to the ethics of the situation going on on the planet. 
is lovely. Like we know Data is in one of his most vulnerable states and he's away from the ship. What's going to happen to him ultimately is in control of this admiral who we've never met before. And he's a little too... Uh, quick to request the schematics and uh, and suggest that he might have to be uh, killed. And so, yeah, you are set up to distrust this admiral from the beginning because he's a danger to Data. Yes. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a big achievement because from my outside looking in the view of the TNG world, and you'd be able to give me a clearer description of that, the, you know, apart from the little odd... Uh, conflict and standing up for his people picard and his enterprise crew are compared to former captains and future captains they kind of tow the company line you know quite well they're sort of like the model not i wouldn't go so far as to say boy scouts uh but they are very much so for them to be pushed so far to extreme to do said titled you know the titular insurrection. Mm. Um, it, that's a that's that's a big achievement from Admiral Doherty to be able to get those who believe and support the Federation far more than any other captains we've seen before. That's a that's a huge step to get to that point. Yeah. Okay, I'll go next. And as promised, I have a bad bad admiral. Yeah. Well and done. Welcome to the squad. Here we are in another movie. I think this is this is a movie thing. Uh, Rob, that movies, when you need to justify the budget of a feature film, you have two choices. Mm-hmm. One is universe-ending war, yep. and the other is Bad Admiral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got a Bad Admiral here in Star Trek Into Darkness with Admiral Marcus. Played by the beautiful, incredible Peter Weller. Yes, uh, certainly... What was bad about him was not the actor. If anything, it was just so obvious that he was evil from the beginning. You don't cast Peter Weller to be a, a, a fine, upstanding citizen. Unle- unless he is in full metaled armor and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and saving Detroit in the future. Um, That's right. But yes, uh, I mean, there's a lot I could talk for hours about the things that are wrong with Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, but especially, yes, he is so very much arch. He puts the, you know, the arch into arch villain. So there, uh, there is at no point where you do not think that he is, we go, oh, it's that guy. It, it's, it's, it's the one who's actually <laughs> Has anyone evil. noticed how evil he is? <laughs> yeah, you, that's where you need a boiler to stand up and go, how about the guy who's acting really evil? I think yeah. he's the evil one. Did you notice he has his ship on his desk, the secret <laughs> ship that is going to try to end the universe in the climax of this film? Yeah. His credentials include not just being an evil admiral, but a member of Section 31 as well. If there weren't enough evil in Star Trek Into Darkness, this is a Section 31 admiral, if you please. Something we didn't even mention is the post credit scene in uh, The Stars at Night, Episode 10, Season 3. Badgie's back. Mm-hmm. Or is it a little <laughs> bit of that? Uh, Section 31 adding more things to their nefarious oh, means. Maybe, maybe so, Yes. So, yes, the plot of Into Darkness is a heck of a plot. In this alternate universe in which the Federation and Starfleet are a little more militaristic because um, of the events of Star Trek 2009, 
Section 31 is the organization that discovers Khan's stranded crew in space, yeah. not the Enterprise. Right. And evil Admiral Alexander Marcus decides to attempt to recruit Khan as an asset in Starfleet. And he has Khan design and build photon torpedoes and design and build this amazing warship, the Vengeance, which is revealed at the end of this. And the plot of this film ultimately is how Khan cannot be controlled. Um, Admiral Marcus fails to keep Khan on a leash. Khan gets away, gets a little out of control, and uh, and his cover is blown. And kills he, Christopher Pike. Yeah. There's that moment where Khan introduces himself and he speaks yeah. it with such gravity. That's not for the actors or that's not for the characters in the scene because they have no idea who the hell that is. That's but right. that is specifically just for the audience to go, oh, my God. And it's yes. just, it's a ridiculous moment that takes you out of any type of connection to that film because it's there going, you're not speaking to the characters at all. You're just speaking to directly to the audience because it's meant to mean something to them. Yes. This is pure J.J. Abrams storytelling, that the point of the story is the surprise. Yes. Because I think if memory serves in the lead up to this film, people were like, so who does Benedict Cumberbatch play? And they were like, oh, yeah, this guy Harrison. Don't oh, it's John Harrison. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Harrison. He's Harrison. And people were like, is it Khan? And it's like, it's definitely not Khan. And so when it was revealed that it was Khan, it was like, okay, so you had to lie to us in order to surprise us. That feels like you failed. Um, so yes, Peter Weller chewing up all the scenery and really filling that cinematic role of I'm an admiral, I'm bad, get used to it. Yeah, in a way, I think he's a interesting mirror to Dougherty where Dougherty's heart was in the right place. He believed that he was doing the right thing even after he started breaking rules yeah. and his ethics in order to do it until suddenly he was surprised to become the villain of mm. his own story. Peter Weller's Admiral, though, feels like he's like, I'm going to do some evil. <laughs> How much evil can I get away with and still have this awesome desk? Because that's my plan. I have found the perfect balance of evil and deception. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. Admiral Marcus, not not great. Um, and not played with the subtlety of Dougherty either. No, 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 no. Peter Weller is definitely uh, hamming it up to the extreme and mm. makes you yearn for the days of him being uh, subtle and precise as he was in Robocop. Have you got one more for me? I do. I do have one more. This is my first encounter with a bad Admiral and it shocked me to my core. Uh-huh. Um, the first time I met him, he was endearing and helpful and put in danger and I wanted him to be saved. And then Well, hang on. Let's be clear here. Since last week's shocking twist that you had interviewed one of our cast members, when you say you met this admiral, do you mean you met this admiral? No, I have not. If I had met this admiral, I would have been, I would have, uh, yeah, I would have had many, many, many conversations. And if I only had a 20-minute um, <laughs> limit, I would have gone, no, 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 I haven't even touched on To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh -huh. um, so, yes, uh, I 
fell in love with him as generic, friendly, you know, admiral in distress, but then becomes one of the key figures in the ultimate conspiracy. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Admiral Cartwright. Yeah. Uh, Brooke Peters from Voyage Home and uh, The Undiscovered Country. Incredible actor, who, of course, uh, did amazing work on Deep Space Nine as Cisco's daddy. Um, but here, Cartwright is um, right off the bat. He is a lovely character, sorting out all this issue with the president, who was conveniently played by Santa Claus, and it was Sarek <laughs> as well, and all this type of stuff. And, you know, they're heading for the bridge. Oh, my yeah. gosh, don't kill this admiral. He's amazing. This uh, is how you do an evil admiral. You do a whole extra movie beforehand to set him up as a nice admiral exactly and then he comes in and oh he is uh nasty personified with uh, the issues with the the klingons and not wanting to trust them at all klingons will become the alien trash of the galaxy <laughs> if we do, uh, do an agreement with them there'll be suicide yeah uh by the way, another link to this uh, season finale of Lower Decks, all of the Starfleet command scenes occur in the same conference room in which Admiral Cartwright is seen in Undiscovered Country. The only Nixon can go to China oh, conference room. You is... vouched for me? <laughs> only Nixon could go to China. That's um, right. Oh, yeah. Now I've got to go back and watch it again. To so uh -huh. oh, is that that moment? That's where they all come in, and that's that's where that's where Ohura says that she's been lecturing, and oh, they've it, got a much bigger view screen behind them now, but the desk and the lamps are the same. Yes. So Cartwright is uh, introduced as a wonderfully, uh, you know, the the admiral you're rooting for and supporting for, and then hates the Klingons so much he goes into a conspiracy uh, agreement with them to destroy their own. Accord. It's a very messy, messy, convoluted conspiracy. It is. If there is one problem with Star Trek VI and the edit where uh, we get the Scooby-Doo moment of, of flashbacks to all the conspirators to make it clear to the audience who the baddies were is a symptom of this, is it's not entirely clear unless you're paying real close attention exactly what the conspiracy was. And also, you have to have watched the television version where they added in the scenes where you've got René Bourgeois. Well, the good news is this 4K Blu-ray release has both versions on it. And really? You can choose which one to watch. Well, there's only one to watch. It's the extended one, because you've got to uh -huh. see René Bourgeois with an arc eyebrow and a killer moustache. And a flip chart. <laughs> and a flip chart, even though they're in the future. <laughs> they go, don't you want to use a screen? We've got PowerPoint here. No, 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 no. I've gone old school. It's um, freaking great. I I've still printed scene. it out. And then you find out at the end that, you know, Renard Bourgeois is actually the Klingon who's shot by Scotty. Uh, but in the original theatrical one, it, you just think it's a Klingon. So, right. so Cartwright is involved in framing Kirk and Dr. McCoy for, for the assassination of Gorkon at yes. the start of this film. But I feel like the reveal of the, the conspirators at the end of the movie is so far from the, the murder of Gorkon that you kind of forget what even the mystery was. Yes, and, he, and, and hearing who the co-conspirators are through... A mind meld yeah. is um, a little bit confusing. Cartwright. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a big shock for me when, yeah. especially when he comes in, he's so full of, you know, piss and vinegar and he's all uh -huh. out of vinegar at the start. And they're going, what's happened to this great, I was happy to see Cartwright back, but now he's like, 
And like he's and he's smarmy up to Kirk when he's there going, yeah. oh, better you than me, fella. And I'm there going, what is what has happened? And then he at the Such end Such a generous uh role, I think, in Star Trek Six for him. Yes. Because like famously, Valeris, the character, was created because they originally wanted to make Savik turn evil in this film, but like Savik, everyone loves Savik. Savik can't be evil. We need to create a new character. Yes. And here nice Admiral Cartwright turns evil. And that was played. Like we allowed the character that people liked to become a baddie and for that to be shocking. Yes. It's a great moment of storytelling and it's a great moment of sort of like, what would people refer to as now retconning? But yeah. it's that case of going, no, this, we, we were honored to get, you know, you know, Brock Peters in for, for, for our whale story. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, let's bring him back for this one. Nicholas Myers is back. Let's, yeah. And Nimoy and the writers going, well, let's make him a bad guy and let's get yeah. him go full Iago style, uh, mm -hmm. which is great. It has so much more weight when um, we see that someone can turn evil yes. under the right conditions. It gives us this this sense that the choices we make matter. We see ourselves as as good people people but we're gonna have to work to stay good it, people aren't born evil and it was a bit of a twist as well because it you know like they brought kurtwood smith as the president so they didn't bring back saint mm. nick from mm -hmm. episode four and we didn't have brock peters there in uh star trek five so to have him back is sort of like a, oh cool okay they brought him back hey, remember this character yeah he's kind of here now oh cool he'll just be in the background again well welcome to have you back it's good to have oh my god <laughs> not only is he back he's a crucial part of this whole thing so do you want more evil admirals or is the inevitable lampooning of the pattern here in Star Trek Lower Decks a sign that the evil admiral thing is done well that's the thing do you think they were lampooning it or Carol Freeman says to him. Uh, buen amigo, don't tell me you're one of those evil admirals. <laughs> okay. And I think at that point when you're naming it in the text of the show, in the dialogue, I think it's done. Maybe maybe I was just, yeah, in my rewatches, I was just too caught up in it going, this is, <laughs> I, I go, ah, that's a good self-reference. All right, yes, it is real. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit in previous weeks as well, sort of like, okay, okay, this is revisiting old ground this has been mm -hmm. you know you've been going almost 60 years guys what mm -hmm. what new stories are there to tell what new uh challenges are there to face so and we haven't seen it within lower decks but we've definitely seen it within the uh within the star trek canon um it is very much an easy gimmick to get out within the cinematic world oh it's someone from the inside it's a yeah. guy we've never met before or a person we've never met before but they've won an academy award in the past so you know give them a scene with uh with Patrick Stewart. I think for me, it's all things in moderation. As long mm -hmm. as we have more good admirals than evil admirals, and as long as the story is worthy uh, the, and the character and the performance is is bringing something new to the screen, then I'm on board with more evil admirals. Yeah, and if, if we can make a point of admirals stop swearing at Patrick Stewart, I'm all right with it. You know, <laughs> That'll um, do, yeah. If we could just cut down on, you know, stop having the potty mouth in front of Jean-Luc Picard, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next week we are diving into Star Trek Prodigy. Rob, you've got uh, you've got some catching up to do. How's it going? I am doing okay. I'm up to I think around about season one, 
episode six. So yeah, I'm, that's not far. You got like four or five more episodes. Yeah, I don't know if I can do spoilers or anything like that, but I've just the end of the episode is uh, Janeway and the crew of the Protostar have just um, discovered that the former captain of the Protostar was chakotay may or may not play into the episodes we have to discuss here gee isn't kate mulgrew great isn't she just amazing yes she is hologram or otherwise will will janeway be an evil admiral is the question oh well is she she's not admiral on in the hologram is she though she's captain janeway in hologram form Yes, we need to talk more next week. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, it's, it's like those old uh, talk shows where they sort of like fade out. Um.